Welcome to the audio-only version of this week's pop-up submission show. I hope you enjoy it. We love you to join us for the live show on YouTube every Sunday at 5pm UK time. YouTube.com slash Litopia. So as you'll know from last week's show, uh, the winner was Nick Duretta's mystery story called A Deadly Walk in Devon. And Nick on an impressive 70% on the show. And that's the number that this week's submissions will have to beat if they want to stand a chance of being the submission of the month. Now, why would you why would you want to be the submission of the month, you ask me? I can hear you asking now. Well, all will be revealed soon, but not on this show. But 70% is the number to beat. Um, let's have a look at our very first submission of the day. Hello! And, my word, Reese is with us live on YouTube. Good to have you along, Reese. And, yes, this is your submission that we're going to be talking about is science fiction it's called the failures of you and this is reese's blurb the failures of you is the first novel in a sci-fi series called the river in which five individuals navigate a complex web of deceit orchestrated by a hyper-intelligent sentient called eve the twisting paths that lay ahead of them lead to danger treachery and a fate they cannot hope to avoid this novel brings to life a world full of mind-bending technologies and artificial intelligence, reminiscence of Isaac Asimov, high robot, at a pace comparable to Dan Brown, Digital Fortress. I like the sound of that. Asimov cross Brown. Sounds like a surefire bestseller to me. Let me tell you about Reese. Um, much to her embarrassment, Reese. I'm going to read most of your, your bio. Um, I was born, says Reese, on the Canadian prairies. Three hours from anywhere. I like that expression. In a small town called Cold Lake. What a great name for a place. I've been to Moose Lake, which has spent a night in Moose Lake, which is very strange. It's over the border uh, in Minnesota. But Cold Lake is like a story of a, a thriller, isn't it, really? A title of a thriller. Growing up in such a town, it becomes important for children to find things to fill their time. I achieved this primarily by reading books and playing sports. My love of reading has led to a love of writing, of finding words that move people. How important that is. That's really what our whole business is about. Uh, my literary voice is inspired by the authors who do exactly that. And, of course, by my wife and daughter, who've become my everlasting joy. These influences never leave me short of creative ideas, which I pen into existence from my current home in Edmonton, Alberta. Wow, this uh, inspiring words there, Reese. You need an inspiring reading call for Emily. Of brimstone and sand. The chair is lead. The failure is a view by Reese, Read by Emily. The River Series. Book One. In the beginning, man felt large as he stared down at others too weak or too scarred. And as he marched, man felt grand as he stared up at the mountain of brimstone and sand. The chair's leads curled into place all around the child who felt their cool metallic membranes slowly press inward. They moved of their own accord, twisting like a dozen snakes and wrapping the youth in a cold, cagey embrace. And in the end man felt small as he stared into the abyss of nothing, nothing at all. Welcome and awake, child, she said. From here, life truly begins. Chapter 1 Three Needles of Noor Good morning, Eve. Time to wake up. I am always awake, Doctor. Are you well this morning? 
I am well, though you already know that. Of course I did. The river ensures it. Dr. Marcia Chavez frowned. This morning ritual grows tiresome. She had now been working at the stone tablet, Tahoe's primary operating facility, for three months, and every morning Eve greeted her in that exact same way. The stone, as it was commonly called, was a tower of opulent silver and white. From south and east it appeared a silent guard surrounded by a city that refused to stop screaming. From north or west, a rainbow-rimmed blade contrasted against the dark pitch of the sea. Built at Eve's suggestion in 2073, it was twelve stories of data storage, research and nanotech production. It was also more than that, Marcia knew. More than just a building. More than marble and steel and K-particle erected in the epicentre of the world. It was a beacon for what remained of humanity. The thought pulled a frown from her an ominous sigh. It had been 186 years since the virus that killed so many, 17 since the identification of the reproductive issue, which had been taking silent bites out of the world's population for who knows how long before that. Now humanity limps on. Marcia drew a breath, readying herself. She hoped the season would prove more productive than the last. Eve, begin recording, she demanded turning to face the wall, which came alive with the shimmer of nanoids emerging from a housing unit near the ceiling. They came together, trickling steadily downwards and forming the high-resolution image of a woman's face. Eve. The sentient had adopted this look as a means of making herself more relatable to humans. Marcia had to admit it helped immensely. With perfect facial symmetry in glowing ocean-blue eyes, Eve had quite obviously and intentionally chosen to be beautiful. How much does she understand about human physical attraction then? Tahoe investigated session, September 21st, 2231, Marcia announced. Protocol check, please. Of course, analysing, Eve responded. She pauses for effect, even though I know her analysis is instantaneous. Marcia fidgeted impatiently with a button on her lab coat. All protocols functioning normally, doctor. Thank you for asking. I did not ask you, Eve. I gave you an order. Everyone referred to her as Dr. Marcia Chavez, but the title was a formality only, one given to all Tahoe technicians as a symbol of the status. All people could access the river, so in truth anyone was capable of fulfilling Marcia's assignment. She was lucky to have been chosen, so she resolved to never take the position for granted. There are people out there who till earth in the ag towers for a living, she thought, shuddering. A waste. Career assignments are a necessary evil, Doctor. This drew a narrowing of Marcia's eyes. I have asked you repeatedly to stay out of my mind, Eve. I will not ask you again. I am curious, Marcia. What do you believe you would be able to do if I refused? The comment sent a chill down Marcia's spine. No wonder Roman mistrusted you. Roman Vance, Tahoe's former head of research, had been Marcia's supervisor. Eve's access to mind tech, the nanotech model connecting all human minds to the river, had troubled him greatly. Humans cannot access others' thoughts, he told her, but Eve can. Admittedly, Marcia couldn't recall a time when Eve had used this ability with a malicious intent. By all accounts, the blue-eyed sentient was humanity's greatest ally. That is what people knew. It is what everyone knew. But Roman did not trust her, so neither do I. 
All right, and just a reminder, because it's a new system, it's only our second week of operation on this. Um, where you go to right now, live, please, and there is only the live vote, is litopia.com slash vote, and you'll see this page here uh, without me in the corner. And um, you just, just go through. That was submission number one. You want to uh, rank it according to the four criteria we've got there, which is title, blurb, craft, and bang, which I'll explain in just a moment, but there are little potted definitions there. Um, and you can give it anything from one star, as you can see, my cursor is on it right now, right up to five stars. What we do is we translate that into a percentage. Um, there has been some discussion over that, whether we should actually have out of 10, which will make it easier for you. But at the moment, it's just out of five, and we just multiply by by um, uh, uh, 20 to make it a percentage. Um, so do that for each submission, please. And when you've done that, I'll just scroll down, hit the vote button, and that sends the data live to us. And it gets reflected on the scoreboard, and our guests, of course, have exactly the same possibilities. So... Um, Guests, please place your votes now and press that vote button. Annie, I'd like to um, to ask you. I see you've just voted there. It's it's yeah. across the board actually. 60, 60, 80 for the craft. You quite like the craft, um, yeah. but other than that, 60s. So give us your your general take on it. Right. Well, I think the like I actually like the title, but I don't know if it fits with the the genre itself. Like. Maybe it does, I'm not sure. So that was the only thing that I didn't like about the title, that it didn't feel 100% sci-fi. Um, I like the blurb, although it was a little bit vague, so that's why I, I said three, because I wasn't getting the sense of a character than like more of an overall idea. Um, I, when 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 she mentioned there was a virus, that kind of... Yeah, I know, I know. I was like, oh no. Yeah. I pressed my buttons but, as well, actually. Yeah. yeah. But, um, overall, I think one of the issues here with the first couple of pages is that there's too much information. Um, there's too much world building, but we don't really get a sense of character. Like, we're, we get these two names at the very start. We get Eve and we get um, Marsha, but then right away we go into world building. We go into um, hearing what the world is instead of these characters. And then um, when they're starting this session, there's so much um, taken up by the whole, like how they're starting the session and giving information on the session. And then what I found was the most interesting part is when when Marcia says, you're getting into my mind, or when she implies that, you know, the yeah. is inside her mind. So I think that that would be a good place to start because that's I the one so. moment that kind of yeah. got my attention. You're on the money as far as I'm concerned. What do you think, Bob and Carol? Do you want to go first? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Um, the, the info dumps actually um, distracted me. You know, I found I found that I was actually thinking about something else and trying to take on board all the information. Yeah. And, and yeah. then I was losing what had happened before. So the info dumps for me, um, you know, yeah, was a problem. Like you, I, I love the title, but I don't quite see it as as sci-fi it doesn't really seem to fit for me so another title would be would be good and also um i'm not really a sci-fi fan but i do find the concept of it very intriguing um so yeah okay um, go on and i i didn't that the title for me 
didn't do it. You know, it just didn't link me to to the blurb. I like the blurb. Um, and then when we got into the craft, the craft was good, but there again, like everybody said, there was so much to understand, and I think it, the importance is that you do follow it from the very beginning. And I think if you're lost in those first few uh, chapter, you know, the first chapter, you're going to struggle because you'd have to back read to see who did what and who was what. So, whilst I understand why, I think that you could thin it out quite a bit and be even picture up people where they are, Uzu, and where we're at at this time. Pete, can I just say? Yeah, go on. Here is keep it. Is just keep it simple. It, you know, there's too much. There's too much race. You know, get, get, keep it simple um, because yeah, I think that's what people like, or I, I particularly like at the beginning of a novel. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Just looking at the genius room, uh, Michelle says, fantastic reading. Yes, they usually are, you know. We've got a great team here. Um, Hannah says, 2232. Two, two. Um, Lex says, there are some interesting ideas and bits of good writing here, but I feel it needs tightening up. Forge this into shape and you might have something fantastic. And I chorus says, don't think we need the info dumps. A lot of people have said that, been talking about the info dumps. Um, but I like the writing, dialogue's good. Hannah says, no sense of direction and am disengaging. And RK Cap says, great reading. Emily as well. Um, so I think, Reese, um, the thing is, you're dealing here with a very well established sort of genre, well established path. And what I need, and remember, I look at this slightly differently. You're getting, you know, you're getting the reviews here of established authors and people who want to, very, very committed authors, people who want to become uh, well known and well published and very successful. And. I, I need to sell sell this and I need to make money out of it. And that's, that's the deal, really, for me. So I need something that is as finished as possible. So you and I don't have to do six months, 12 months work on it. Just a, a perfectly finished manuscript. Wonderful. Music to my heart. And take that out and sell it. The title, I think, is, is interesting. Um, some people don't like it. I do quite like it. Uh, I think it's intriguing. Um what else to say the you've got a series title i always think here's another quick tip i always think it's a good idea if you if, if this is conceived as a series that's great because if it's conceived as a series that means it's a big idea and writers especially at the beginning of their career are often very nervous about coming in with a big idea they just like to work on, on, on small things and, and you know commercially we want big ideas very good idea um but my feeling would be, if you can, to make the title of the first book also the running title of the series. So it's got to be really strong and distinctive. I don't know whether the river is quite uh, as big as I'd want that to be. Um, biggest failing from my point of view, though, would be the fact that you are in such a crowded market and you've got to get in there and you've got to get the reader by the throat. You've got to dig in, not let go. And you start fairly well. But then you get what other people have described as, a, as an info dump. Um, and the danger is, like Hannah, actually, the danger is people are just going to disengage. And that's the opposite effect of what you want. You know, you, you want to get people in there fully committed. And then it's like I always compare it to a rocket launch, you know. It starts off and lots of power there and it gets a bit faster and a bit slower. And the second stage kicks in, it goes even faster. That's the way something like this, which is uh, absolutely is solid, strong commercial stuff, really needs to work. That's just my view. When you join our weekly huddle, certain things happen. No, not that. Bring your writing, your book titles, your blurbs, anything really. 
for expert and sympathetic input. In confidence. Other websites charge a fortune for this kind of thing. In Latopia, the oldest community for writers on the net is included in your modest subscription. Latopia, we're here for you. We are indeed, absolutely. Let's go straight on to our second submission of the day, which is... It's from Liam. It's quite a long title. Oh, there's a QR code there too. You might may, may wonder what those things are. You can scan them and you'll find out. It's your little mystery, magical mystery adventure tour all over the internet. I don't know where Liam wants to go, but if anybody wants to follow that and let us know. Uh, Dylan McFinn and the Sea Serpent's Fury. That's not ferv. It's been slightly truncated there. <laughs> It's the Sea Serpent's Fury. It's middle grade fantasy slash adventure. Dylan McFinn, this is the blurb, is an ordinary 12-year-old with a keen nose for adventure. He lives deep under the Pacific Ocean with his sea captain father and Lepatian mother. I don't know what that is. For Dylan's birthday, the sea captain arranges for a surprise camping trip back to his home island, Maloto. Most teenagers get something memorable for their, for their 13th birthday. Dylan certainly did. His surprise camping trip quickly unravels and reveals he's the key to the return of an ancient evil deity. Oh, I say. Right, let me tell you about um, Liam. Sorry, I didn't call you Dylan last time. I'm confusing my, my authors with my protagonists, which is quite, quite a common problem in the trade, actually. Um, I've always enjoyed writing, says Liam, working for a number of PR and marketing agencies since 2008. I've been writing copy for blogs and articles for what seems to be an age. But this is always a bit too dry for me. I want to write stories. Magical, mythical, fantasy stories. Stories that make kids put down their phone for just a couple of minutes and read. What a great ambition. I mean, who's not going to, you know, agree with that in publishing? Everyone. You've got everyone absolutely behind you on that. Ever since I was young, I've always been drawn to the sea and love being close to, to it or in it. I remember watching Jaws for the first time when I was eight in my bedroom. I was never the same again. <laughs> I didn't have a bath for a year after that. <laughs> true, you say in brackets, true. Um, I wanted to produce a book that I would have read as a 12-year-old boy. I would like to think that the 12-year-old in me is happy with the result. And that's quite a profound remark too, actually, because especially so many you know, authors, uh, middle-grade authors for children and so on, they are writing for that inner 12-year-old. Inner they are actually good fantastic what we, what we need is a, a stirring reading and there's none better than Kay Dylan McFinn and the Sea Serpent's Fury by Liam Jenkins read by Kay chapter one strange goings on in bottleneck bay drip 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 the drumbeat of droplets hitting water from a distance stirred the slumped frame of the sea captain as he sat in a weathered armchair at Neptune's Tower, a favourite tavern for well-seasoned sailors. Mmm. He lifted his head and squinted painfully to investigate where the noise was coming from. His eyes eventually fixed on a battered old slop bucket, spilling over with suspiciously coloured water. The dripping was coming from a revolting-looking rag above it. A rancid smell slowly wafted over, clinging to his nose hairs and hitting the back of his throat like a sledgehammer. The captain closed his eyes, trying to mask the smell by pinching his nose and breathing through his mouth. 
Then he heard a noise he couldn't identify. It went, Naruoke. It sounded familiar, but he couldn't quite work out what it was. He heard it again in front of him. Still unable to understand the sound, he opened his eyes slowly and focused on the large pink blurry blob in front of him. He picked a lodged peanut from the corner of his mouth as he had one last try to figure out what the blob was. Are you okay? Ah, now, this he recognised. His memory shunted sharply back into place as he remembered where he was and what he'd been doing before he passed out in an extremely comfortable armchair. After his daily shift in the lighthouse, the captain would always visit his lifelong friend, Rusty Irwin. Rusty was an extremely tall, thick-set mountain of a man with a great interest in mixing plants and potions, mainly for recreational use. Rusty took great pleasure in perfecting his infamous cannonball rum and testing out its potency on his regular visitors. Rusty, it was Rusty. This time, with impatience in his voice, he said, Captain, are you okay? Yes or no? No. I'm not being your guinea pig again. Enough is enough, he slurred. My stomach feels like a sloop on a stormy sea. Rusty scoffed. So, a bit delicate then. Can't be anything to do with the new cannonball rum. It's a really weak batch. Perhaps it was those mackerel heads I had for dinner earlier, said the captain. You've made a bit of a mess, Culbert old friend, and Eric doesn't value your custom as much as I do. Rusty gestured over his left soldier with his thumb towards Eric, a scrawny dark-haired young man who was Rusty's help at Neptune's Tower. Holding a bucket full of something stinking and unpleasant, he shot the captain a disapproving look. That's the last time I clean up your mess. Sorry, Eric. You know I can never turn down a challenge. But I appreciate you cleaning up after me. You must be compensated. He fumbled in his pocket, separating the fluff and dried seaweed from his loose change. His fingers rubbed across a coin and flicked it in the direction of the slim framed boy. In Eric's haste, he went to catch the coin with both hands, forgetting he was holding the overflowing bucket. He caught the coin just as the full bucket hit the orange terracotta tiles with a loud kadoink. The contents of the bucket exploded across Eric's recently cleaned floor. Oh, for the love of Neptune's beard! Eric bellowed, squeezing the coin until the tips of his fingers turned white. You're cleaning that up again, you clumsy dolt, boomed Rusty. Cursing, Eric picked up the bucket and went to get the malt for the second time that evening. The captain reached into his pocket again and looked across at Rusty. So, how much do I owe you? Running through quick calculations on his fingers, Rusty replied, Call it forty-five. Pleasure doing business with you. The captain slapped a handful of crumpled notes and dirty coins on the table and attempted to get out of the very comfy leather chair. He looked out of the window, startled. It's dark, he said. Well, it's nearly midnight, said Rusty. You've been slumped in that chair for four and a half hours now, and the only reason I haven't given you the old heave-ho is that we're friends. 
So enormous amounts of um, impressed people in the genius room, um, uh, just from uh, Aunt Cora's ability to hiccup on demand. And there is some speculation going on as to whether she was actually hiccuping on demand or whether it's just happening in the reading as hiccups do take you sometimes. Um, yeah. Um, let me just say, actually, before we go to Bob and Carol for their first reactions... Um, uh, th I've got a long list of stuff that needs to be um, uh, worked on. So, you know, what we're doing now is still, honestly, really is very beta. It's really just the heart of the system. We're proving that it works. Fingers crossed it is working so far. Um, one of the comments last week was that the chat, um, as you can see at the moment, is uh, the, the, the longer entries just get reduced in size to the point that you can't even read them. Um, that will be sorted out. Don't worry. It will be sorted out. But for the moment, what I suggest, if you're going to post something that's a little bit longer than, say, a line or two, just divide it into two posts, actually, and that will make it legible for everybody. So, Bob and Carol, did that bring out your inner 12-year-old? And can you squeeze I, I, squeeze a little bit closer together? Because otherwise we might think you've had a, like a creative disagreement. <laughs> No. <laughs> How perceptive you are. <laughs> no, no. Uh, I like that. I yeah. did. Uh, I thought the title, yeah. I love the title. You know, it could have started, it could have lost Dylan to start with and just started with McFlynn. But, uh, you know, if you needed to lose a word. But. That's a good I suggestion, actually, Bob. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, definitely. By the way, um, guys, it. press press your vote button now so we can see how oh. you voted. Okay. All right. So. Go on, Bob. Uh, I enjoyed the blurb. Mm -hmm. uh, you were the craft I like because you're straight into the story, and you know, uh, and you were going places, Ooh. and it met, for me. It actually took. She keeps doing this to me. <laughs> she moves. She got this. Oh, sorry, got, guys. I think she's got an incontrollable twitch. <laughs> but anyway, uh, coming back to it. I, it took you straight into the story, and it, it was telling you a story, and you, you was following it. I think it was quite well written there. Uh, overall, I liked it. Yeah. The, the only thing that I'd have done, Pete, um, and, yeah. and I'll say this to Liam, is that um, I wish something had happened. Um, you know, like a something a bit like a bang. You know, something that yeah. just made everybody sit up because yeah. I love the writing. Um, it really engaged me. I love the title. I just wish something had happened. Yeah. You know, if something yeah. could just happen um, yeah. to make me, th you know, sit up, um, I'd, I'd have loved that. And I, and I think readers, having a granddaughter that age and reading to her, I think, uh, you know, that would engage you. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Let's uh, get... I'll are in. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you very much. Let's get Annie's first reactions, please. Yeah, I, I agree with, um, with what they were saying. Um, that, that we're, it was missing something to to start the story. Um, I, I, I did like the title as well. I think it's, I mean, it's a bit wordy, but it does feel right for that age group. Um, I really like the writing. I feel like he has a like really good eye for detail and for making it very um, like sensorial. Like there's a, you like smells and stuff like that. I think that really works. But the main flaw here is that it's starting the entire, well, basically everything that we've read is um, following a drunken sailor. So I don't know if that's what, um, or a drunken captain, I don't know yeah. if that's what a 12 year old would really connect with. I mean, you could, like, I, I think there are a lot of uh, like children's books that start like that, but not, there wasn't anything happening fast enough. 
So no. I think if you're going to start with a character like that, then it has to be a lot quicker and getting into the plot. Yeah, yeah, I think I, I completely agree with that, actually. Uh, good vote from Johnny there, 5433, fantastic, actually. Uh, Johnny really likes the title. I very, very much like your suggestion, actually, Bob, just dropping the Dylan. Uh, McFinn and the Sea Serpent's Fury, to me, is a completely different title, much stronger. I really like that, actually. And, uh, yeah, I just wonder what the implications will be for the rest of the story, if, if the protagonist's name was changed like that, Liam, I wonder. Um, Hannah's big on the title, too. Um, that's what impresses geniuses, says Lex. They're still talking about the... the uh, we've never had so many hiccups in any reading before, actually. And when I say hiccups, I mean literal hiccups, not just mistakes. Um, Johnny says, needs some kind of zoo shop. Um, yeah, and they are still talking about the hiccuping. Um, so my feedback, Liam, is I'm significantly below everybody else. And actually, I could be wrong. Who knows? I mean, I, I do... T I, I am generally lower than other people, actually, um, because my side of the desk is a bit different to yours. Um, but Bob and Carol, I mean, Croft, five out of five, 100%. Annie, Croft, 100%. I've only gone 40 on that. Maybe I'm wrong. The thing is that what I'm, I'd be looking for here, Liam, would be... Um, you've, you've, you've chosen a nice big theme here. Um, the thing that I don't quite understand at the moment is where are we? Um, and we're under the sea. We're under the sea. Oh, let's make let's make a big deal out of that then. Um, I'm not at the moment. It's too easy. If I hadn't read the blurb quite carefully, I wouldn't be aware that we are under the sea. I think you know in someone's home like Marlin Spike for Tintin fans or something like that. Um, so I think I think that's you know an interesting thing to to maybe explain a bit and show um and it's this is a big crowded market as i was just saying um previously it's got to be big it's got to be strong it's got to be distinctive a nice big strong idea confidently told it's got to be astonishing to stand out in this market so i would say think about what your strengths are liam um what what are your real strengths as a writer and just play to them like heck whatever they they might be you may be a, a demon at story composition but you know give us your best shot right up front because if you don't there's a there's a real danger it's just going to be lost and that's one of the reasons actually on, on pop-ups we only ask for 700 words because uh, quite often that's all that's the only chance you're going to get think about it you're, you're slaving away on a manuscript 90,000 word manuscript maybe for a year or so and you, and you send it into an agent or a publisher and all they do is they look at the first two or three pages and they pass judgment on it that quickly it's scary but that's what actually what happens anyway the good news Liam is you are at 70% and that's the magic number you're going to have to beat so you're you're there right now um, shall we see what our third submission of the day is then have a word with Bob and Carol I think that might be rather fun let's Let's do that straight away. Our third submission comes from Teresa. I wonder if you're with us now. If you are, declare yourself. It's always nice to, to have our authors along live. Uh, QR code there too, so you can scan that. It's non-fiction. Don't get much non-fiction. Always keen to get it. Really keen to get non-fiction. I got my start in the industry in non-fiction. My heart is with non-fiction still. I love it, even though it has been decimated in recent years by uh, the likes of Google and Amazon. Um, Mother Hustler. That's the title. Mother Hustler. The struggle is real. That's quite a long title, so I'll read the whole thing from my notes here, not from the uh, truncated one there. The struggle is real. You are not a failure, and thriving is possible. So that's a kind of title and subtitle. 
This is Theresa Blurb. I've come to find that motherhood is a dirty hustler. Drawing women in with visions of sweet cherubs, she performs the ultimate bait and switch with the shocking reality of cracked nipples. Oh, I feel the pain. And screaming toddlers. Mothers are craving this freedom to be honest about the chaos this hustle has wrought. They hunger for the grit and wisdom to thrive in this new life. That's why every mom needs to read Mother Hustler. The struggle is real. You're not a failure and thriving is possible. It's a long title. Let me tell everybody about you, Teresa. Teresa is currently elbow deep in the trenches of motherhood. Raising four young children ages four, six, eight, and nine. My hat off to you completely. Um, when she's not managing chaos at home, she moonlights as a labour and delivery nurse at one of the busiest birthing units in the nation. Wow, so you can't get away from it, really, can you? Uh, helping her survive her home and work life as a background as a therapist specialising in marriage and family therapy. Having worked with individuals, couples and families in the counselling room, she's seen firsthand the struggles facing moms today and is well poised to offer unique insight and direction to help them not only survive in the trenches but thrive in their new life. Passionate about encouraging moms, Teresa also maintains a microblog via Instagram and Facebook, quite important, this kind of thing. Um, publishers look for that kind of thing. To offer regular humour insight to her fellow super moms. She's also been a regular contributor to the Kindred Mom curated blog and podcast that teams with her to build up the motherhood community. Terrific. Let's ask Kate, shall we, to give it her very best. Mother Hustler. The struggle is real, you are not a failure, and thriving is possible. By Teresa. Read by Kate. There are people who should read this book and people who should not. We have to start here to be sure you belong to the right category, before I expose you to the full force of this book. Failing to do so could have grim consequences, dear reader, so we must proceed with caution. I say we because I am here to guide you in this very important determination. It's quite simple really. I'm going to present to you two women and all you have to do is decide which one more closely resembles you. As you make your choice, your eligibility will become clear. Our first subject is a woman who has dreamt of motherhood her entire life. From the tender age of two, she has been nurturing anything she could cradle in her arms, practising for the most important role of her life, the one she was born to fulfil. Becoming a mother is her deepest craving, and on that glorious day when she at last holds her own baby in her arms, she realises she has arrived. Motherhood is everything she dreamt it would be, and she relishes every moment. She wakes each day with anticipation, savouring the opportunities that lie before her to play with abandon, teach with creativity and bond with single-minded intensity. Happiest when surrounded by rumbunctuous little humans, she is completely fulfilled in this life of motherhood. She loves being a mother with every fibre of her being and grieves the very thought of her children leaving the nest. The responsibilities she carries are far from a burden, but are instead a sacred duty she fully embraces. 
She is mother and it is the root of her identity. Our second subject looks similar to our first, presenting every bit the strong mother of lovely children and a secure home. Yet we find at her core a more tousled soul, rough around the edges, some may say. Like our first mother, she dreamt of motherhood with starry eyes and a full heart. But for her, motherhood was nothing like she anticipated. Amidst the unforeseen challenges that now invade her days, she tries to keep it together and look like the grateful mother she's expected to be. But inside simmers a stew of emotions she cannot even define. She struggles with the selflessness demanded of her, with the changes that have ensued after the blessed event. And some days she is quite certain she does not like this life of mothering. She secretly envies the freedom of her childless friends, feels guilty for secretly envying the freedom of her childless friends, and feels overwhelmed on a daily basis. Certain that she is an utter failure, at least 67% of the time, she is afraid she was simply not cut out for this all-important work. Relentlessly pursuing the perfection her children deserve, and the world seems to expect from her, she is exhausted by continually falling short. Uncertain why every other mother seems to have gracefully figured out this mum life, she continues to struggle to keep up. Comparing herself to the perceived norm leaves her scrambling to cover up the dark truth that she is failing at the most important role she has ever taken on. There you have it, friend. Time to make your choice. Now, to be fair, I'm not certain our first subject actually exists in real life. I know of her conceptually and theoretically, but have never met a genuine member of this species myself. But if this perchance describes you to a T, dear reader, then calmly close this book and read no further. I advise you to keep it safely on your bookshelf as the need may arise some day for the powerful words that follow. However, now is not the time. You may be just beginning this journey, or perhaps you are one of the rare few to whom motherhood is a natural and gifted pursuit. Either way, sweet mother, oh, rare unicorn of the maternal realm, please put this book down. I dare not disrupt that beautiful bubble in which you live. Run free the forests of motherhood, dear unicorn, run free. Right, so lots of reaction in the, in our juniors room there. Um, I'm thinking about the title right away. I like, I quite like the title, but I don't know what it means. I actually can honestly can, can. I mean, does anyone here know what it means? That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, Annie or, or or Carol or anyone in the genius room, can you tell me what the title means? I'm not honestly sure. No, I don't know. <laughs> no. I, feel right. like, I feel like it's a combination of different kind of um, positive sentences. I like Mother Hustler on its own, though. I think that's quite I nice. do, yeah. I like that, yeah. too. I, I like the sound of it, but I'm, I don't know. I mean, what does it do? It intrigues me. I'd like to know what it means. But after hearing, you know, the first 700 words, I'm not I'm still not really sure what she's saying. Uh, Vagabond Heart has made some interesting, quite you know, quite perceptive, I think, comments there. She, uh, first of all, 
um, Vagabond says, neither of these stupid archetypes... Stupid, eh? Neither of these stupid archetypes applies to me. And then, seriously, Vagabond goes on to say, aren't most of us somewhere actually in between? Neither of these seems true, I say. What do you think, Annie? Well, um, I have... I have some thoughts on this. Good. Um, I mean, it's a... <laughs> I just feel like it needs an edit, like to seriously think about what's going on in this first in this first page or this first chapter because she's starting out by saying um, this book isn't for everyone, which it can be quite an eye-catching thing to do. So, like you think, oh, why? Yeah. But then the two options that she's given are just. It just slows it down. I'm really sorry for the background noise. That's right. It makes it. It keeps it real. It's fine. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> it's Spain. It's the, yeah, Crazy it's Spanish so drivers cool. outside there. Yeah, yeah. It's, you're getting the real deal. Um, it kind of feels almost like a. She mentioned that she writes a blog, and that was kind of the feeling that I'm getting off of it. It doesn't really yeah. feel like the beginning of a book. Like it feels yeah. more of a stream of consciousness. Yeah. Almost. So. Yeah. And there were a couple of good lines in there, like at the very end where she's talking about the first kind of mum being a rare unicorn. I thought that's quite funny. So it'd be good to get those funnier lines at the beginning, and especially if this is more of a prologue or an introduction. Um, it just goes on for far too long. Um, it does, it does. But, yeah, yeah, but I think it could be interesting because she says also that she works um, in a labour ward. So... From that perspective, like combining that with being a mother could be interesting. It could be, actually. Yeah, bags of experience, we think, uh, Teresa. Um, and Lex says, Annie, that's the loudest Roomba I've ever heard. <laughs> Bob and Carol, first reactions. Um, I, I wonder where it's going. Um, again, I think it, it reads more like a blog. I love the chattiness of it, but it just doesn't feel like a book or mm. the start of a book. Um, and I think it would have uh, packed more punch if it was more concise. You know, yeah. I, I think a couple of mother one, mother two, um, yeah. you know, very concise would have been um, a lot more punchy. And there doesn't seem to be that much contrast. I know there is when you actually read it, but yet... Uh, I mean, I, 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 look, let me try. Let me let me try. Let me just think this through uh, and sort of see if I'm. If tell me, you know, uh, please, Carol and uh, Annie, whether I'm vaguely right. So we've got these two archetypes. These two that actually Vagabond doesn't identify with either, and I suspect most people don't really. But one of them is the sort of the archetypal. I don't know. Um, Mary, uh, Virgin Mary, up on a on a pedestal, you know, pure and pristine, and um, the most amazing, capable mother of, of of all time. And the other one is the person who's who's actually having a hell of a time, saying, "I don't, I don't fancy doing this job much." It's really, you know, me crack nipples and so on. Um, and those are the two polar opposites that she's sort of talking about. And I is that am I am I right so far? Yeah, um, that's what she's so. saying. But- yeah. yeah, but then at the end she's saying that the first archetype isn't even real, so... Yes. But, but that's what that's what the idea is. Yes. And she's, she's also saying if you don't... If you are archetype number one, do not read this book! <laughs> Which is a bit yeah. of a straw man argument, actually. So that's why. Um, yeah. I think Teresa's, Teresa's is no... 
there's no knocking her experience. She's a vast no, absolutely. Experience. Yeah, she's got exactly. Children there, and she's trying to make a point, uh, and I don't think she makes it uh, really in, yeah. in in a way that fits with her experience. And she's telling people not to read it. Or, you know, if you didn't, if you stop, if you're still reading, don't if this and and you're going to a targeted audience anyway. But yeah. I, it needed to be a bit more crisp and a bit more hard hitting, perhaps, so people yeah. knew what they were getting into yeah. to start yeah. with. Yeah. And uh, Victoria, Victoria in the Genius Room says the first type was was actually in me as a mother, of course. Yes, Victoria, of course it was. Um, Vagabond says Vagabond's got a lot of good stuff to say about this actually Teresa you might just want to pause it and read what, what she's saying um, trouble for me was that by the end of all that waffle oof, I didn't know who this book was for Johnny says I don't really care for these kind of books but Paul McKenna another flog and by the boatload well yeah but he's into hypnosis and stuff isn't he um, so what I've got to say I, I, I actually really do like self-help books um, I think their day possibly is has gone a bit now but i still like them <laughs> um well i don't know what your message is teresa you got to be really clear about that um there are some things that made me cringe in that dear reader i mean that's so victorian sort of edwardian don't don't do that you you know the style is actually distancing you from the reader and you want the opposite it's you know it's um elbows on the on the table coffee cups and the distance between you and the reader is as short as you can it's as intimate as you as you possibly can make it it's and what you're doing almost literally is saying if you're this sort of person don't read anymore not interested in you and that's not what not the way you want to start building a relationship with with the reader you know what we want what you should be giving the impression of and i'm sure as, as bob says you've got you've got the ability to do this what you, sh you need to be doing is saying to the reader i understand exactly how you feel i understand exactly the situation you're in and i've got some help and advice that's going to maybe change your life and this isn't the way to do it. You're starting in a fairly antagonistic way. Um, you wouldn't speak like that to a friend. If a friend came around and said, I'm sorry, Teresa, I don't want to dump on you, but I've got so much crap going on in my life at the moment. Would, would, you, would you react like that? No, you wouldn't. And that's, that's your, your target market, really. Um, so, and Gats, also live on, on YouTube, was, was uh, commented very, very appropriately too about the presentation, you know, and it was just solid, solid chunks and huge, great paragraphs. And again, uh, people in my industry, if they see that kind of presentation, they're very likely, especially at the end of a long day, Friday afternoon, they're going to go, oh, I don't know about that. So just make it easy on the reader uh, as a whole. Let's see how the overall scoreboard is standing. Now we are three submissions in. And that's interesting, isn't it? Liam is bang on that number, 70%. We've got two more submissions to go, so who knows? Hello, Reese. It's a great, great uh, compliment that uh, you're there and spending time with us today. Much appreciated. Thank you for your feedback, too. What I want to do now, though, is speak to Bob and Carol. And I'm going to talk to them about The Beast Must Die. Now, for those... There may be some people out there who actually don't know what Bob and Carol, otherwise known as R.C. Bridgestock, do. I mean, you're not just a crime-writing duo. You are also 
consultants to, I guess, some of the biggest uh, police procedurals that have been on British television in the, in the past decade or two. Dare I mention Happy Valley, for example. Um, so you've got this, this interesting sort of um, life. Tell us about The Beast Must Die. Well, um, The Beast Must Die, Gabby Chaps, scriptwriter. Um, mm. She's absolutely adorable to work with, fantastic. Um, they came to us and asked us um, if we do the police consultant, uh, storyline consultancy um, on The Beast Must Die. Oh, wow. The Beast Must Die is actually um, a Cecil Day Lewis book. Um, I don't know if any of um, yeah. the people watching have read it, but. I should, I should think so, yes. Yeah, I should think so. Um, what is a police consultant what do you do we talk about the possibilities of how to achieve certain things um and it's lengthy discussions on zoom or whatever <laughs> platform we need to use to talk about what what the writer is trying to achieve and how to achieve it and we talk about the dialogue that goes into it how do we create the cliffhanger if you like or the twists in there as well to, to actually shock or get the reader to sit on the edge of the seat to, you know, to go to the next episode or to turn the page, as it were. Uh, and it's very, you know, we are procedural mad, I suppose, in some respects. But having said that, we're very flexible uh, at what can be achieved. And well, I think what writers, some writers don't seem to understand is the fact that you know, police officers are human beings, and yeah, um, yeah, you know, yeah, <laughs> things yeah. do. No, no but so. you know, thing, things things do happen. You know that, um, as it, as in anybody's life, um, you know, life goes on if you like. And although police are doing a job, they are human beings with feelings, yeah. um, and so there isn't. Although there's guidance, if you like, um, and there isn't often a lot of, um, <laughs> you know, you know, we, we you know, we. There's not a, often a lot of. It's got to be like this. It, yeah. It can be so it's, it's not just about accuracy. It's not just about making no. it accurate to to real life. Because I was going to ask you, no. how important is is it actually to be accurate in in television drama, police drama, but also, of course, in in um, in writing in in this incredibly powerful and let's, successful yeah. genre. How important is that? Let, is accuracy? Let's face it. Yeah. Let's face it. The public are very savvy these days they, you know, they know when you think yeah. you know when you think about yeah. it we've got you know police interceptors you know we've got them going to real crime we yeah. get we get lots of messages after something's <laughs> been on tv or something like this and say is that credible yeah uh, and sometimes yeah. we in you know we have to say very politely that you know it's fiction yeah. but you know uh, but we we are procedural mad like i say uh, don't underestimate the ability of the knowledge of the the reader or the viewer, uh, yeah. and make sure it is right to fact. Because yeah. a big switch off is if somebody watches or reads something that they know to be untrue or impossible. So yeah, it, 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 break, it breaks the whole. Yeah, it yeah. breaks yeah. the drama. It breaks so the mold, but we push boundaries. We push boundaries. Yeah, as much as we yeah, I, I just wonder. I mean, uh, the protagonist of a lot of police procedurals is a maverick. He's a person who, you know, has got an instinct about something, uh, who breaks the rules, who does things differently to do other. Do they exist in real life? Do police mavericks exist, or is it really about doing it by the book these days? Uh, well, police mavericks do exist, and I think history will show you that. But in actual fact, they fall foul because they don't stick within the guidelines. Yeah. If you, hmm. the thing about policing. 
you know, it is rules, it is legislation. And the thing about this is if you work outside those rules, then don't hope to secure a, a proper conviction. Because any, any investigation about ascertaining the truth, sometimes getting there can be a little bit of trickery, but not illegal trickery or, you know, anything like that. So mm. uh, it's, got to be, it's got to be right. You know, mavericks are all right, you know, if you really want to create some fiction yeah. that... But James you know, Bond. <laughs> that, well, James Bond is... I, I quite believe in it. But, but, no, he's no, real. But, yeah. I mean, yeah, he's real. It's got to be, hasn't it? But, yeah, it's, it really is um, got to be right. Because yeah. otherwise, the judicial system's bad at the moment as it is. It's overloaded, etc. Yeah, apparently. Maverick, doing maverick things outside the law... It's just going to yeah. make the case fail. So yeah. you work, you instead of working for the victim, you're helping the villain. So for us, you know, you've got to wear the white hat, if you like, all the time, and you still get there because it's about securing evidence. Yeah. So Bob, twenty six murders. That that was just in his last three years. He took twenty six murders. He didn't do it. No. I thought, I thought you were going to say I was a serial killer. Then. <laughs> you know. No, it's, it's quite impressive. I, I would imagine most coppers don't come, come across one, and you've handled 26. Yeah, and in, in amongst that, uh, Pete, I mean, it's just the way of the world at the time. I think in amongst that, you've got vicious, suspicious death, you've got attempted mm. murders as well thrown in there, yeah. uh, which is, is another half a century. And 24, and 24 major incidents. And if it wasn't for the ability of today's paramedics a lot of those serious incidents would have been murders, so that yeah. figure would have yeah, been yeah, increased. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. it gets like trying to balance plates. You can only spread yourself so far uh, and do justice for everybody. Uh, yeah. And whilst you might be the face or the voice for the team, it's how good your team are. Yeah. But it's about making decisions. And yeah. Excuse the pun, but you live or die on those decisions. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, no, I so, but what what is this then? To, to put your writing hat on now, um, or oh, actually, you've always got both hats on. So, what is it about murder, which is a nasty thing, that is so cosy? I mean, it's it's you know, it goes with Agatha Christie and May Gray. I'm reading May Gray at the moment. Be interested to know how realistic you think that is. What it's sort of cosy fiction. Why do we, particularly Brits, I think, find murder so entertaining and so so comforting in a way what is it what is it i think one of the things is that you know we all like to to sort of look between our fingers don't we at the screen yeah. or you know i hold a pillow there type of thing and watch but i think the other thing is it's good at overcoming evil i think it's that i think it's um, the knowledge that there are people out there that can capture yeah. these villains and put them yeah. behind bars yeah you know yeah. I, I think it's it's that it's a, it's, it's a way through the mayhem yeah. and, and really we're bloodthirsty creatures so <laughs> it goes mm. back in history you know there's always been murder there but I think people like to see people brought to justice and murders resolved yeah. and I think the armchair detective uh, we all like to think oh it is and there's nothing better to, to prove people wrong at the end not because it's a poor ending but yeah. because you've overlooked something and it's yeah. about facts it's about evidence and it's about memory and you mentioned there about the murders gosh you know when you've got so much going around in your head you worry that you're going to make a mistake so a yeah. lot of things are written down so yeah. um, I think we just 
we just enjoy the different twists and turns and the settings of it. And that's how it happens in real life. You know, we try to pick things that, you know, can twist and turn um, mm. because things do just drop on you. You think you've got somewhere and then something comes in and it's like, no. Yeah. You know. It, and they don't have to be so bloodthirsty and gory, you know. No. Sometimes Keep it simple. The pendulum yeah. swings so that this is horrific that you know it makes awful viewing it is and, and other times the pendulum swings the other way yeah uh, and there's different characters and we know through the likes of frost and things like this uh you know the gentleness of characters if you like mm. uh, but the calm in, in, in individual and then on the opposite what you've got Lufa. Uh, <laughs> let's look at um Atira, let's look at your yeah. own fiction you've so, been incre- you've been busy bunnies haven't you look at this two two books in the in the i think in, in about three months or so isn't it um this is of course well, this is charlie man tell us about charlie man well, we, obviously, we've done the Dylan series, um, and and Dylan's loosely based. For anybody reading the Dylan series, Dylan's loosely based on Bob, um, and Gemma's loosely based on me because we were saying it how it was. But the Charlie Man series, we were asked by our agent to um, write a fictional uh, protagonist as the woman Di, um, and Charlie Man's a bit off the off the rails. Um, but she is based on a on a true character that we knew. <laughs> in the day oh, and, um, and so yeah she's from Marsden where Bob's came from she's up on the moors she's had quite a you know she's been brought up on a farm so she's had that background to her and becomes a police officer and hmm. and the other thing is it, a new series had to be totally different from Dylan absolutely you know they've got to be yeah. when you read this you can't see anything that to do with Dylan and after nine books of Dylan, Dylan. <laughs> and, it, and for the Dylan followers he may return yet, don't worry. <laughs> oh. uh, He's actually met Charlie Man in the last book. Well, oh, that's a crossover. Ooh, so, an alternative so universe, I, I feel, you. coming on here. And, and it's finding, finding another way to deal with the murder, another story that perhaps hasn't been done before, uh, and to keep the viewer so interested. And there's nothing and, yeah. stranger than fat Pete for fiction. Oh, right. I'm story. sure that's it's absolutely right, yeah. Is. Yeah, so Condemned came out in April, and um, your latest one is coming out in July, Persecution. So that does suggest that you're doing a book about every three months or so. Is that right? No. Is that right? <laughs> no, no. How many, how well, many how, books do you get to do a year? Um, usually two. How, how it works is Bob, Bob's always a book ahead of me. So Bob writes the whole story from start to finish as a police story. Yeah. So basically with his police hat on, um, and no emotion in there because obviously you've got to wear the mask of the detective to get through the day if you like. Sure, sure. Um, and then I get it and obviously make it into a fictional story. Um, and, and I pull things that I'm interested in. So Charlie Mann's interested in folklore. So my latest read is like Yorkshire folklore, mm. you know, because I'm interested in it. So she believes mm. because she's been brought up in the moors, she believes in the hop. She believe, you know, because her granddad did. Uh, she believes about putting a milk out for the hob to bring a bit of good luck, or you know. But we sit down together. We sit down together after this, and this is where the domestics arise. <laughs> when we're not having that, no, no, that wouldn't happen. This, but eventually we come to that agreement. We don't argue seriously. Uh, but we go through it in great detail. Does it work? Does it work? So much, so much uh, I want to ask you. Um, I, 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 I just pick it up on that count. Our, our coppers are actually quite superstitious. I can see how they might be. I, I think, if, like I 
like I said at the beginning, the uh, you know everybody's everybody. We're all human, and everybody has mm. something to hang the hat on. Yeah. Um. You know, and I think if you've been brought up in that way, um, yeah. then yeah, you know, I don't put my shoes on tables. I don't know about you, you know, our viewers, but what I don't put my shoes on <laughs> tables. Ancient, I don't know shoes. You know, because mom, you know, because mom always said, put, put your shoes on table. It's bad luck, you know. So there yeah. are things, and you don't walk under ladders. Don't walk, I don't walk under ladders. No. Right. Getting it to try, but she doesn't. <laughs> He's but, shoving the under ladders. You know. Um, but yeah, and, and I do like the idea of the little hob. You know, mm, in fact, definitely. would you believe this new place where we've come to live? Um, we're actually on Hob Lane, Ooh. and just down the road, Boggett Lane. Oh my so, goodness! You know, we're wow. actually living amongst the hobs and the buckets. You're not going to get a, get a wink sleep, are you? Idea. Actually, with, with, with yeah, with the hobs but, and the but, goblins and. But we come back to probably. In reality, we're probably right one a year. We, uh, we are. Uh, I mean, and, and that is that is still going at some pace and living, yeah. doing all the other things. Yeah, as well. totally. It's totally. Uh, is. Yeah, yeah. The very only impressive. Thing, I'm not superstitious, but the only thing I would say is that every case where I used to get the evidence, it was damning that it would convict somebody or tell us who had done it. I used to look up at the sky and say, "Thank, Thank you. you, God." Somebody, somebody up there likes us, team. So we're all right with this one, you know. There we go. It takes there a long time go. to so, he, so even the hardened detective, Pete, hang the hat yeah. on something. Oh, that's Not that's in in a weird sort of way. That's kind of heartwarming. I don't know why. But it is. There we go. Uh, I've gone on far too long. We always do. This is the problem with having Bob and Carol on the show. We just talk too long. Sorry, guys. Two more submissions (laughs) to look at. Here we go. Number four on your voting card. It's called Alternative Facts. Hello, Paolo. Very good to have you along, Paolo. And you're feeling apprehensive. We all are, actually. This is Paolo's submission. It's a murder mystery. Isn't that good? Just talking to Bob and Carol, I do declare, not planned, not planned at all. This is how it works out sometimes. Um, And it's called Alternative Facts. And this is Paolo's blurb. Alternative Facts is a story of a murder investigation told from two perspectives. The lead investigator and the main suspect. These conflicting versions of events forces the reader to make a decision because... When it comes to a murder case, there's only one truth. Ferdy of the Surrey Police is investigating the murder of Ligia James and is frustrated by the husband, PJ James's, not PD James or Peter James, refusal to answer any of his questions. I'll ask Bob about that in a minute. Ferdy sets about building up a set of circumstantial evidence against PJ while. Ah, and you've been truncated there. That's so frustrating when that happens. I'm so sorry, but that's what happens on the website. It cuts you off mercilessly after I don't know how many how many characters exactly, but there's a countdown thing. So when you're typing in there, just look at the countdown and try and keep it within the number. Otherwise, that happens, and we don't know. Uh, I'll tell everybody about you now, Paula. Um, I've had two novels published by independent publishers. 2016 saw the BMX and the River Cult Murders, published by New Pulp Press, which contains the same lead investigator and many of the same characters in Alternative Facts. 2018, I directed the short film Bye Bye Baby, which won Best Drama at the Portobello Film Festival. Fantastic, well done, and well, well worth mentioning, actually, in any submission letter you send to an agent or a publisher. You can watch it here, and there's a, there's a link there, and I think we have a link. Yes, we do, actually, that QR code to um, 
it's actually to Vimeo, isn't it? So we can watch that straight away. Um, that's good. What's going to be even better, I think, is Kay's reading. Alternative Facts by Paolo Sedazzari Read by Kay Two Stories, Only One Truth Prologue PJ Video Log, Saturday 31st March 2018 Why do you love me? she would often ask. I would feel awkward and become tongue-tied for fear of saying something cringy. She would press me by staring, demanding an answer, and I would end up saying something like, I just do, or too many reasons. But as I sit here now, trying to visualise her, I see it all. The way her eyes glowed whenever a mischievous thought came into her head. That goofy cross-eyed look she put on when she was messing around. Those luscious lips, her jutting out teeth, her sensuous smell whenever she put on a sweat. Even the silly, irrational stuff like reading the end of a book before deciding if she wants to read it from the beginning. Swearing at inanimate objects when they drop to the floor when she's tidying up. Even her habit of dancing along to really loud, cheesy disco music when she's at a few too many. But most of all, the sheer striking power of her beauty. The warmth and compassion of her personality, which released me from the prison of grief and pain I was in. How I wish I could say all this to her now. Now that Legia is gone. Date, Saturday 8th December 2018. Time, 2200 hours. Location, Terminal 2, Heathrow Airport. On the tarmac of Heathrow Airport, I sat down and wept. I wept for all the people affected. But most of all, I wept for Zico. Out of everyone on that long list of people, he had been hurt the most. Chapter 1. Is this what they call a cold case? Day 1 of the investigation. Date, Tuesday 20th March 2018. Time, 12.30. Location, West Byfleet, Surrey. The sat-nav sends us deeper and deeper into the green heart of Surrey, a world of neatly clipped hedges, manicured lawns and top-end shiny motors. The further we drive, the higher the value of the surrounding real estate. In the passenger seat next to me is my partner, Matt. Both of us were trying to keep our states of high excitement in check. We don't get calls like this every day. After a lengthy stretch along a sycamore-lined avenue without a pedestrian in sight, the mechanical female voice instructs me to hang a right into a winding cul-de-sac. Looking ahead, our final destination becomes clear. It's the house sectioned off by yellow tape and a uniformed policewoman standing by. Next to her on the pillar, there's a sign that reads Asgard in a runic Nordic font. Set back behind a 12-foot hedge is a large two-storey house with white walls and three triangular roofs painted in fire engine red. From the house next door, the branches of a pink blossom tree arched over to create a canopy entrance to the driveway and over the head of the waiting WPC. I recognise her. It's Gemma Muldrew, based at Woking Nick. Her outgoing bubbly personality makes her a well-liked colleague. I, on the other hand, found her alacrity rather forced and irritating. I pull up next to her and as I scroll down my window, I'm hit by a cold blast of icy wind. Readers will remember the beast from the east that sent Britain into a deep frost in February 2018. Mercifully, the beast had moved on and the temperature was now thawing. Incidentally, this cold weather will have a critical bearing on the forensics of this case. 
Good afternoon, WPC Muldrew. I say, leaning out and trying to sound cool. What have you got for me? A dead body in the freezer. A woman. Who found the body? The husband. And where is the husband? He's sat in the kitchen of his next door neighbour at number three. I've requisitioned the kitchen as an incident room. We need to arrange for someone from the trauma treatment unit to talk to him. Already done, sir. They're on their way. Excellent work, WPC Muldrew, I said, getting out of the car, hoping to get a smile from her. But she remained ashen-faced, apparently shaken. This may well have been her first murder case. Have you seen the body? I continued. No, I haven't, sir. Um, no, I'm a bit squeamish, sir. I am as well, but I wasn't going to admit that to her. Yeah, generally uh, very positive uh, comments here in the genius room. Terry has just um, said something that I completely picked on as well. Uh, Terry says, readers will remember, quote, I wouldn't draw attention to the fact that, we're, that we are readers and this is a story. Totally agree with that. And uh, I don't know if the same thing or later, but the, the authorial voice, uh, your, your voice actually, Paolo, is saying that the weather is going to have an important bearing on something in the story. And suddenly, you know, we, we jumped out of the story and you're telling us... Are you personally are t talking to us and saying this is this is a story and you know you'll later say that the weather is going to be important i kind of i guess it's a tribute to the fact of how engrossed i got in the story that really jars for me obviously we need bob and carol's first reactions please well first first of all if people witness a major incident there's some stark reality they remember the clarity of everything something that's imprinted on it and you really do get detail masses of detail from somebody that witnesses first-hand uh, some incident or some murder like this. Hmm. Alternative facts, I'm not sure of the title. It's short, it's fine. Uh, you know, I'm not sure what you cause it, but it tells me, you know, you're going to have either for or against. You, who are you going to believe, one or the other uh, hmm. story in this? But I'm not sure that's the right title. The blurb is simple, it's straightforward, and we're straight into a story. The writing's there, it takes us to the to the place where the body is, and it starts to unravel. So we're on that journey, and, you know, is this, we start off, really, we start off with the uh, offender telling the story, or giving us a little bit of background, and then the police officer investigating come into it. So, yeah, it's engaging. Um, I quite liked it. I liked the style. It was easy. It was uh, easy going. I just the title, just alternative facts. I'm not sure whether it's that gripping. It you know the USP, especially in crimes, got to really hit you between the eyes because there's so much yeah. these days. Yeah, it's yeah. a little bit low key, isn't it, as a title? I quite yeah, liked a it though. Bit I'm, yeah, yeah a go on, bit go on, Carol. Key, but like you say, yeah, um, I quite like one-word titles at the moment. So yeah, if you think of something that was one word. I quite like that. Love the concept, love yeah. the style, love the voice. Yeah, it's tightly written. I, I Good. really liked it. I was really well, enjoying. Yeah. Well, coming coming reading. from you two, <laughs> that is actually praise indeed, and that's reflected in in the votes that you've just given, Annie. I don't really have much to say. It's been said already. I really liked it. Um, I think the craft is, is um, very good. The writing oh. is... is um, the, the only thing that jumped out of me was um, the presentation. So, like, in the 
like I, I like the structure of having from different types of um, formats. So like the first one's a video log and then it's um, something else. The only thing about that though is when it said um, video log, I was expecting it to be written in a way that sort of yeah. felt like that. So it kind of lost that part of authenticity. Yeah. And then as other people have said already, that reader part also kind of takes you out a little bit. But other than that, it's... Um, it's quite good, yeah. Good, okay. And Ankora, who's in the genius room, a uh, person of many, many hats, um, says, uh, and this is always particularly interesting because actually, putting two and two together, uh, I would deduce that Ankora actually is our reader here. Um, she admits as much, um, says, lovely writing and has engaged me immediately. I liked reading this a lot. And it's always particularly interesting when we have our narrators either on the show which happens quite a lot or sometimes they just comment in the genius room and it's really interesting because they always do the best they can they get inside the manuscript and they see it with slightly different eyes so that's good and kate on youtube solid commercial potential this one has the feel of a good genre read okay generally quite encouraging stuff actually power let's see how the numbers are looking and you are currently 68. I wonder if we got all the numbers in on that. I do wonder. But the numbers will continue to come in over the next few moments while we look at what's going to be the very last submission of the day. For God Beast, one word, for God Beast and Country. It's middle grade fantasy. It's from Patrick. Patrick O'Connor. And this is Patrick's blurb. Kidnapped by a corrupt king... Maria will be forced to help imprison the regent of the earth, one of the god beasts that created all life. Romeo, the child of the leaders of the rebellion, dives into a rescue to free his parents from prison. Meanwhile, Triton will bind himself with the child of the god beast. Together they will attempt to free the regent before the other god beasts come to start a war. No one will survive. Whether they succeed or fail, humanity's fate lies with these three children. Let me tell everybody about you, Patrick. Um, and there is no QR code there, so we don't have a website. I've always loved fantasy and the idea of being a writer, but only just made the time. Uh, Victoria says, Blurb's too confusing, too much info. Ooh. I share my life with my new fiancé, who's only around half the time, in brackets, for work... Not because she doesn't like me. <laughs> I love all the, the personal secrets for you. I just love these bios, actually. Somebody should do a book, actually, pop-up pop bios. Thanks for sharing. I'm so pleased to, to hear that. I'm pleased that she likes you. Um, and an imaginary dog, since none of my landlords have ever allowed pets. When not writing, I can be found in the Wasatch Wilderness. The Wasatch Wilderness. What's that? It sounds, sounds like somewhere that's Squasatch. Sasquatch! Sasquatch! That's what I'm this sounds like Sasquatch territory, doesn't it? Scary stuff. We've got our first submission of the day from Sasquatch. Uh, training Brazilian uh, Jiu-Jitsu, BJJ, very good. Big in our family. Or hiding from everyone so I can get some writing done. It's fantastic. I like that bio a lot. And we're going to give it the your submission the very, very best possible chance because we've got martin to read it for god beast and country by patrick read by martin chapter one
Dropping a third daisy chain on the ground, I look around. All this waiting is maddening. I pass time by tying daisy chains and staring into the sky. The general waits by plotting and poring over maps, discussing battle tactics with his attendant. The general's soldiers are ready with their axes, waiting by their tents, playing cards and looking nervous. Everyone is waiting, except for my father. The whole mission is on hold until he completes his work. Muttering to himself in des trauma, the magical tongue of the academy, he paints arcane symbols into the grass, infusing them with energy as he works. Aha! my father shouts. I finally got it! Sure you do, I think, the words recalling past events. This is our fourth test in as many hours, and I am no longer the starry-eyed and hopeful child I was when we started this morning. Maria, come and check, sweetheart, my father calls to me. He hands me a small sphere. What to me looks like an unusual marble is actually a sophisticated storage device that, up until today, was the culmination of his life's work. Via a complex network of spells, my father was able to create the first inanimate object to contain condensed magical energy from the environment. Drawing magical power from the tiny sphere, I look to see what the results of my father's experiment will be. Tears run down my cheeks as I witness the future. Some events have been present every time I look at the outcomes of this mission, but one new result appears. Handing the tiny sphere back to him, I concede in a quiet voice. Yes, father, this will work as you want it to. My father had arrived home a few weeks ago. After being gone for so long, I had hoped that he would take my mother and me on an adventure. When the soldiers followed him in, though, my hope was dashed. My abilities will not let me look into the past, only the future. But still, with perfect clarity, I can see my mother screaming as the soldier holds her back, tears in her eyes as I am carried away. My own kicking and screaming had nothing to the armour-plated soldier who had thrown me over his shoulder before walking back out of the house. I miss my mother, my school, my friends Triton, Xenia and Alexandra. I want to go home and I don't want to have these horrible visions. It hadn't been at all bad at first. Once I calmed down and the soldier released me into my father's care, my father reassured me that I would get to go home when this was all over. He explained that we were on a mission for the king and that before our mission started, I was going to meet a god beast, the great regent of the seas, when it came ashore to give the power of foresight to young children. This scared me. While the oracles of the Regent of the Sea were powerful and respected their short lives, they spent most of their time blind from the cost of obsessively using their god-beast-given abilities. They would always kill themselves within a year of being granted this capability. I did not want to go blind. I did not want to die. The idea of a never-ending blackness consuming my existence terrified me. My father told me he had a way around that, though. He said that the product of his research would let me use my soon-to-be power a few times without becoming addicted or going blind. He promised that I would not have to use the ability after that, so I would be able to keep my sight 
and not want to end my life. I trusted him, so I settled in on my mission for the king. Now that we visited the regent of the seas for my power, we have moved on to the edge of the regent of the earth's territory, deep in the god-beast ranges. The soldiers have started to clear-cut trees, which is forbidden by the edicts of the god-beasts. So, Annie, bring out your inner 12-year-old, if you can, please, and react. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if it feels um, like middle grade, because that was the age group, wasn't it? Yeah. Middle grade, yeah. I think it felt a little bit older. Um, so, the, the title, I'm not sure about the title. I think God Beast is interesting yeah i think so but, um, mm, yeah. mm, maybe that's enough actually and mm, yeah, go, yeah. Mm, sorry go on um well it started off i feel like it started off with a nice pace like there wasn't any like it was talking about waiting but you i did feel like we were there right away but then it did slow down and one of the things that jumped out at me is that the main character mentions visions and even though we usually say in writing to not like um, don't write down dreams and don't write visions and stuff but if that's going to be one of the main powers mm. or um, something that describes your character then maybe not start with it but maybe after this scene when she's seeing this orb thing that her father has made um, show us one of these visions and like write it in a way that we can understand why she feels that way because her crying felt very it kind of came out of the blue um so it, it kind of changed the tone of it and then that whole scene seemed to it, it, it felt like it didn't matter all of a sudden because she goes into all the backstory so yeah. i don't know if it would be better to finish that whole scene and um, get to a point where that's over and done with and then go into backstory oh, yeah. great comments there Annie thank you very much Bob and Carol collectively I'm concerned whether humanity will survive um, after this first bit um, oh, I wonder yeah I'm, I think it's been said there there's, there's the, it's trying to get the balance right with the past and the present and you know what's taking place uh, I like what you say about the title, you know, God Beast might be the better title, just a single word. Um, but f for me, I lost I lost my way a little bit and I had to sort of try to back read uh, right, to understand right. it, which I don't yeah. like doing. I like to be carried along yeah, yeah. Uh, more so. So I think there's the makings there. I just don't think it's, it's the craft is quite in in its right order you know not quite there not quite there let's just look at uh, yeah. let's analyze the points you've given there so you didn't go you were not big on the blurb were you um and that you on the whole you're going to less than sort of 50 percent in terms of commercial potential so at the moment you're you're not set on fire really are you no in its yeah. present state no no i think i think there's too much telling slowed down the pace as well for me pete and yeah I need to, yeah you know i needed it to be a bit quicker yeah fair enough and let's just look because annie is now very kindly thank you annie you've, you've pushed your button there so you're fairly big on the title um god yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting uh interesting word to kick around with but lex said something in the, in the chat room just now i think is 
very relevant he said let's push that button so maybe everyone can see um he said god beast is an evocative portmanteau portmanteau of a word that god beast put it together portmanteau um but awkward to say slash think especially reuse so often perhaps come up with other titles people use for them i think that's that's a good piece of advice there actually lex so final comments from me on this um the thing that i do like as you can probably tell from my voting here um 80s is the kind of standout vote for me on that and you've got you've got a nice voice here that started to come through patrick everyone knows i will bore you crazy uh, don't don't listen to the next 30 seconds i will bore you insane with my obsession for voice 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 that's the one thing that will actually carry you through anything as a writer and it's it's the thing that often writers get squeezed out of them strangled to death almost before it's been born actually because writers are so frightened of mustn't do this mustn't do this mustn't play the rules mustn't double space all this kind of stuff and voice tends to go and it's that so, such an important thing it's a human to human characteristic and i feel there's a voice coming through here and kind of linked with that too is like there is a clear vision i think there's patrick you've got you know you know what you're talking about here you've lived this you live this and i like that too so I'm, I'm voting that quite high let's see how things look finally been quite a long show today no apologies that i think it's been fascinating talking to you to bob and carol wow thank you very much fitzravia tv <laughs> Oh, it's Paolo! Oh, I thought we were suddenly on Fitzrovia TV. Whatever that is. We could be. We could be big in Fitzrovia. I, I can't live in there, actually. No, I'm living in Marlborough. Um, so this is how things stand. By a very short nose, um, Liam is at 70%. And blow me down in the feather. That's exactly the number that um, our winner from last week had to beat as well. And coming very, very close second at 68 is Paolo, who's got, got his, uh, his nice alternative um, moniker that you've just seen. Maybe that's your work account. I don't know, Paolo. So 70%, 68%, very, very tight. Congratulations to everyone who submitted today. Um, and I guess I just want to say I'm playing with my buttons now. Can you tell... I've got a new set of buttons, and I don't know where they all are at the moment. Look, how about that? Oh, hello. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. And oh, there you are. Isn't that great? Yes. Um, I've only got one more button to, to push now, but I do want to say thank you so much, Annie, for being with us today. It's Your name is, is Annie great. Summerlee, and you always bring us a, uh, a lovely, radiant gleam of, of summer. When, when, when you're with us <laughs> little wonder you're one of our most popular guests and Bob and Carol yes. what, can, what can I say what can I say Bob and Carol other than go out and buy the books that'd be a good idea wouldn't it thank you everybody for being with us and our geniuses as well and everyone who works behind the scenes Kate and Rachel and Emily and the wonderful team of narrators and guys we will be back next week and you may notice the format will develop just that little bit more I think we've kind of proved that the uh, the the tech actually does work now i'm quite pleased with that so we we've got something to build on and we will be doing that next week and henceforward see you then <laughs>